Hi, I'm Lauren Hunter. And I'm Kate Vlasic. And this is Generation BSC, the podcast where we are finally again talking about the Babysitter's Club books, one book at a time in each episode. Um, So we are so excited to be back. We took the last couple of weeks off after we did a special summer mini-series, if you will, over the new Netflix series that came out. We had so much fun talking about that. And now we are ready to dive back in to our regularly scheduled book conversations. Uh, So this week we're talking about book 21, Mallory and the Trouble with Twins. So when you were just saying um, a couple weeks, I thought you were going to say we've been talking about the show for a couple weeks. And I was like, um, we had nine episodes. That's more than a couple weeks. But clearly you were going somewhere with that. So I will allow it to stand. (laughs) We don't need to do any editing or going back. Um, But yeah, I'm super excited we're back. I mean, obviously we haven't really gone anywhere. It's just, it's been weird not talking about the books or, you know, sort of referencing the books in connection with the show. So I'm I'm excited. I know you're excited to be back talking specifically about a book. And I still don't think that I actually read this one. Like, reading it this time. Oh, interesting. I, I don't think, like, I, I, yeah, I don't know. Like, it didn't really feel like anything coming back. But, like, I guess every once in a while I sort of had a flash of, like, maybe I remember this. But I feel like if I had actually read it, I would definitely have, like, had that realization like we've had on other books where it's like, I don't think I read this. No, I definitely read this. I definitely did not have yeah. that reaction to this one. And I absolutely did. In fact, it was the um, – I can pinpoint exactly when it, when I had it click for me. It was the ID bracelets. And all mm. of a sudden it all came back to me. And then I realized for once in um, our history, my prediction was like pretty accurate. I remember the, the they were using the fake language. I remember that Mallory used the triplets experience to bond with them. So I was pretty proud of myself, all things considered. Major kudos to you. Yeah. Oh, well, I was just proud because that's never the case. I'm always the one who's like, yeah, I was so far off. Um, to be fair, I did also uh, hypothesize that this could be the Nazi book, and it clearly <laughs> clearly was not. So, <laughs> I mean, you, you did say you were going to go crazy and swing for the fences, so we'll, we'll – Focus on the all of the all of it that you did get correct, and we'll we'll ignore the the crazy part. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get too much deeper into the book, let's um, let everybody know exactly what happens. So I'll start as my is my usual bent with a dramatic reinterpretation <laughs> of the back of the book. Mallory knows she's a good babysitter. She's been looking after her seven younger brothers and sisters for years. So when Christy offers her a steady job babysitting for the Arnold twins, Mal thinks it'll be easy money. The twins are so cute in their little matching outfits. But once Mrs. Arnold leaves, Marilyn and Carolyn turn into twin terrors. They run around the house like spoiled brats, and Mallory can't even tell them apart. Taking care of Marilyn and Carolyn is a babysitting nightmare. But Mallory's a responsible member of the Babysitter's Club, and she's not giving up. Wow, that's actually very accurate. Pretty spot on for this one, for sure. And very little hyperbole as well. Like, Mm -hmm. there's no, like, flight of fancy that's taking it to some kind of a next level. Yeah, it seems like, and I think we've we've mentioned this on a couple of them, like, the books where there's not a ton of, like, extraneous plot, they do a better job of, like, tailoring the back of the book description a little bit more closely without you know, flights of fancy and ridiculous over-the-top, you know, predictions about Nazis and things like that. But, um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I definitely – I appreciate that this one was very straightforward and 
it maybe didn't lend itself quite as well to as dramatic a reading, but I think you did a good job adding enough drama <laughs> that we we have, you know, plenty of exclamation points in there. Somehow I've never really struggled to add drama to a situation. That's that's never been one of my uh, issues. Everybody has a certain certain skills. <laughs> that's one of yours. <laughs> well, why don't you um, tell us what actually happened sans the dramatic reading or well, or you can make it a dramatic reading yourself. <laughs> you do you, boo. I'll be as dramatic as I usually am and I'll leave the the lore and levels of drama to you. Okay, sounds good. (laughs) So the Mallory-specific plot from this one. Generally, as an overarching through line, Mallory and Jesse are firmly entrenched in the Babysitter's Club, enjoying the friendship with the girls and whatnot, but both lamenting their desire to be more mature. In particular, they both want better haircuts, to get their ears pierced, and to not have to have braces. Mallory also wants contacts. Mallory gets a standing twice-a-week babysitting job for Marilyn and Carolyn Arnold, seven-year-old twin girls. The Arnolds aren't new to the Babysitter's Club, but they haven't been regular clients before. The girls are, as expected, terrors who dress alike at all times and play tricks by switching places and using a fake language that may or may not actually be a way for them to communicate, but which is more likely uh, just them speaking nonsense to be obnoxious. Mallory gets them to stop being quite so obnoxious by using pig Latin on them and then agreeing to teach it to the twins. She finally, (laughs) I wrote that in all caps, (laughs) figures out that the real reason the girls are trouble is because they are individuals with distinct personalities who are sick of being treated as a matching set. Mallory helps them to talk to their parents about what they need and then uses that as an inspiration to talk to her own parents about getting a haircut and her ears pierced, among other larger requests she uses as negotiating tactics. So the Babysitter's Club generally in this book, there's not really much for the overall Babysitter's Club in this book. Um, Items of note include this being the book where everyone is very into acting like twins including their babysitting charges and the babysitter's club. Uh, Mallory and Jesse both being allowed to get their ears pierced. The girls going, quote unquote, mauling to get said ear piercings, which also <laughs> which also includes a third hole for Claudia and Don's spontaneous decision to get two holes pierced in each ear. The book ends with a babysitter's club meeting where Christy and Marianne have bought earrings for all of the girls with new piercings. Claudia has made earrings for everyone and Mallory has bought matching earrings for her and Jesse. The end. <laughs> I love it. Well, I in particular am, was actually pretty happy that um, it wasn't a big issue book mm-hmm. for our first book back into Agreed. these conversations because um, it, kind of to ease us back in, but also so that we can have some space to have the conversation now that you know we've watched the new Netflix series and are transitioning back into the books. Um, has that changed anything for you? I was curious um, for myself as I was reading because I noticed um, specifically, like just to give you an idea of where my head was at with this question, uh, I specifically noticed that as I was reading, I wasn't as much picturing the new Netflix girls as I thought I would. I still was have the same sort of amalgamation picture in my brain that I did um, before the new series came out, with the exception being Karen. I cannot read Karen now without seeing new Karen. <laughs> um, so I, I was just curious if you had any experience like that, if, you, if it changed how you read the books, um, if, if, yeah, if you had any thoughts about that. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting question because not at all. Like it was not even a thought that I had, which is kind of interesting because I always generally in the past have issues where I read a book at, again or for the first time after I've seen the movie or television show and I can't 
get mm-hmm. that version out of my head. And maybe it's because the Babysitter's Club is so like ingrained in who I am and like my childhood. And like this is only the third iteration of this on screen that I've seen. So it's not like, you know, like Harry Potter for uh, is a prime example of this or like Lord of the Rings. Like those actors are those characters for me now. And it's very... Mm-hmm not difficult, but like I, it, it, they just sort of like got replaced in my brain. So like if I revisit those things, it's like, oh no, you know, you're Daniel Radcliffe, you're, um, exactly, you know, whoever, Elijah Wood, like it's just, and I, and I guess that, that maybe is it is because I've had so much experience with the Babysitter's Club before the Netflix show that like, I, it didn't even cross my mind that they wouldn't be the same characters I've read about you know, since I was a kid. I think that that was sort of where I landed as well, that it's interesting that you brought up Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings because those are two absolutely for me too. Although in the case of McGonagall, I pictured Maggie Smith from the time I read it. Yeah. So that just was, <laughs> she's just stayed. Um, but everybody else, no, you're exactly right. And I think, I wonder if that has to do with um, like duration of time and how close the, um, how closely the movies were with the books for me in terms of like, Lord of the Rings was coming out right about the time as I was reading mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings, or only a couple of years after I had read The Hobbit, and it and there and they, both of those are sort of the definitive version. Where Babysitters Club, we do have three or four different versions of it. We have the books, we have the graphic novels, we have the old TV series, the new TV series, the movie version. Mm-hmm. So I think that might help too. Is that there's not like a definitive version to to? Yeah, it's more like diluted for Babysitters Club than. Yeah, I, I I think that that actually is a really good point that my mind went straight to Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings because there really is that one, like, this is the mm-hmm. only, you know, non-book version of this. So, I mean, I guess Lord of the Rings does have those cartoons yeah. that I watched Same. when I was a kid. But, like, obviously I'm not going to – maybe not obviously, but, like, that's not what I think of now when I think of Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit. I think of the movie 100%. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that I think that's an interesting point that – you know, the Babysitter's Club, we read those so much longer before or so much earlier in our lives than before we saw this series. We also had the other show. We had the movie, like, and as we've talked about, like, those things meant a lot to us at earlier points in our lives, too. So it's hard. It, it's not quite the same as if, you know, I was a 10-year-old girl now and reading the Babysitter's Club books and watching this exactly. show and, like, you know, all at the same time, the same way, you know, as, like, Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings as it you know, it's it, it's so close in time that it's like this is what it is. Because I, I mean, and in particular, I would say like the old HBO Babysitters Club show. I don't even know where you can watch that right now. So like, even YouTube. if you were, it's all on YouTube. Oh, okay, interesting. I I don't watch a lot of TV shows or movies on YouTube, so I would not think to go looking for Babysitters Club show on YouTube. So maybe that's why I would. I, to be fair, I did not find that information myself. It was shared with me. Somebody mentioned ah uh, okay um, that they were watching the old um, show on YouTube, and I went ooh jackpot and went back. But yeah, I, I I think it's interesting. You know, I as we're talking about it, I'm kind of envisioning it now since you brought up the point about the girls who are like experiencing it now with the Netflix series. I'm wondering if Babysitter's Club might have some sort of version of um, like Doctor Who where everybody has their doctor, like the doctor that was like they're in for them that they always think of first, but then the other incarnations are all there and, you know, equally accurate. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I don't know. 
Okay, well, um, now that we've gotten big meta <laughs> thoughts on the Babysitter's Club in general, um, let's shift focus to uh, this book in particular. I, I, and I don't know how much of this was just that I had missed reading the books and getting a chance to talk to, to you about it, but I was pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were your overall Yeah, no, I, I really liked this one. I got a little bit frustrated with Mallory and that she took – most of the book to figure out what the actual issue was with the twins but like it was it was a nice book and like I as much as I when we talked about Claudia and the bad joke as much as I like reread that one a lot as a kid and like really liked it I comparing and contrasting that with this book I like this one so much more because while yes the twins are difficult and terrorize Mallory to a certain degree they didn't come across as like mean-spirited as Betsy Sobeck did and Mm -hmm. I think that's what I really appreciated here like and we don't have to totally rehash Betsy but like Betsy there are obviously reasons why Betsy acted the way that she did but I feel like with Marilyn and Carolyn the reasons why they acted the way that they did were much more understandable and like easy to accept and, and like easier to overcome and so I think that helped make this book just generally more fun and I also I mean we've we've talked about how we've totally underestimated and Mallory (laughs) when we were kids reading these books but like Mallory's great I loved hearing from her I really appreciated I mean we're we're not going to go through all the fashion but because it's a Mallory book so many descriptions of all of the outfits she had an opinion on what each of the girls thoughts on piercing their ears was and i loved reading that part of the book like it was just and i i mean it's 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 a broken record for us but like the amount of thought that goes into writing each of these girls the way that Mm -hmm. they're written i just every time it happens i just appreciate it more and more because what we know of mallory and her character of course she's thought about what each of the other girls in the Babysitter's Club thinks about their piercing their ears. And of course she pays attention to whose outfit is the coolest. And I just have to throw this in right now because I don't want to forget from um, when Mallory is describing Marianne. Um, this is, you know, during the first chapter or two where she's telling this is what the Babysitter's Club but this is who all these girls are. Here's what they all do. And the fact that this is how she describes Marianne's style of dress She wears clothes that are sort of preppy, but at the same time cool. The fact that Mallory says that Marianne's clothes are cool is so great because Marianne thinks Mm -hmm. that she's the biggest nerd. Even with her, like, you know, forays into better style, Marianne would never say that her clothes are cool. And the fact that Mallory thinks that her clothes are cool is just, I just love it. Like, that's... It's such a perfect... It just goes, like, to the heart of how... As much as these books are just sort of churned out one every month, like there is thought put into who's the narrator and how they're talking about the rest of the girls mm-hmm. and what they're going through. And I just love Mallory. It, <laughs> it's what it is. I know. I, I just I have to stop like calling out that we used to give Mallory shit because like at this point, Mallory's great. Like we love Mallory. <laughs> In the end. <laughs> Absolutely, I fully agree with the on the on board with the Mallory love I, I, again, and your caveat that it did take her about a thousand years too long to figure out what was up. <laughs> right. But we'll get you know that I'm gonna call, I'm gonna chalk that up to, to more plot necessity yeah. than um, an indictment of Mallory. But 
uh, I didn't mention it at the beginning. We usually do say. So this one came out in February 1989, um, and it is still written. We're in firmly in Anne M. Martin territory, although we're getting closer to the end of her tenure writing every single one of the books. But I think you can definitely tell that she has a very clear, like you said, a very clear idea of who each of these girls uh-huh. are and how they interact and how they would see each other. And and absolutely the idea that um, we get to see the Babysitter's Club through Mallory's eyes, which is not their eyes and like how, they, how she um, interacts with all of them. I, the Marianne was such a great one. I, I just, I noticed throughout the whole book she has such a clear view on exactly who each of these people are Mm -hmm. like um at one point she talks about dawn being such an individual that when it came to ear piercing dawn would probably just do what everybody else was not doing just so that she could be different and we've never had that particular description of what it means for dawn to be an individual but especially after interacting with netflix uh, our, our new updated version of dawn that description makes so much mm-hmm. sense that she just is is so committed to marching to the beat of her own drummer. And as a preteen, that would take the f- shape of, you know, purposely being anti-establishment mm-hmm. because I <laughs> I remember wanting to feel that way. Yeah, actually, I, I, I feel like I, I actually pulled out that whole quote about Dawn and I feel like we have to share that with everyone because it really is just like so okay. perfect. So. Um, this is while she's going through her, you know, list of everybody and their thoughts on ear piercings. This is what she says about Dawn. Pierced ears? I don't know whether Dawn would want them. I'm sure she'd be allowed to have them, but she'd probably only get them if she was sure that she wasn't going to look like every other 13-year-old around. Like, that's, yeah, yeah, like she, if she wants them, she'll get them, but she doesn't want to do it just because everyone else is doing it. And that is just perfect Dawn. I love it. Yep. I love it so much. The other thing that I really appreciated this book is it's surprisingly subtle in its messaging in that most of the time when we're talking about, you know, we're trying to teach kids about being individual and and appreciating yourself, it's very head on. Mm -hmm. And it's about, you know, somebody not liking something that makes them unique. And then the lesson is about how learning that what makes you individual is what makes you great. And this came at at a completely different sideways direction where that individuality theme really didn't get hammered over the head that way. It didn't feel quite as cheesy. It felt maybe organic is Mm -hmm. the word I'm looking for in a way. I don't know. I just I really appreciated that it it felt far less um, Danny Tanner lesson of the week, um, or maybe it's not that it, there was still lesson of the week aspect, but it was less. Here's Danny Tanner telling you what you should be mm-hmm. taking away from it, and more the girls really getting there on their own. And the book, as much as we're giving Mallory some shit for taking forever to figure it out, remembering that these books are aimed at girls mm-hmm. that are if not Mallory's age, even even younger, um, to, you know, let them get to that, reach that conclusion uh, on their own pace rather than beating them over the head with it. So I appreciated that a lot. Um, let's talk a little bit about that, about the about our twin girls, Marilyn and Carolyn, um, and, and their quest for individuality. Um, were you a big twinning person when you were younger? Not really. I don't I maybe I just didn't have the right friends that <laughs> we felt like we needed to do that not that right or wrong but um yeah I don't I don't think that I ever really did like matching outfits or like best friend necklaces that kind of thing like I I don't know I 
I, I would never say that I was like too cool for that because I definitely was not too cool for anything. But like for whatever reason, that was just not something that like I got super into when I was a kid. How about you? I was, I was less interested in twin, I guess, but I was very into the uh, like best friends necklaces. I I liked matching to a degree, but I think it was largely it was largely because I was basically thirsty for a best friend. So I was looking for like anything that would be a signifier mm-hmm. that would indicate to other people like we're a matched pair. Um, because I never really had a like firm and fast best friend the way that some kids do, and that way the way that it felt like everybody in literature does. Mm-hmm. And like we've talked about that before with this concept of even in this book, um, there are a number of times that Mallory and Jesse are, you know, talking about how lucky they are to have each other as best friends. But, and they even highlight like, I'm so glad that you moved here. It was just sort of like proximity that <laughs> that made them immediate mm-hmm. best friends. Um, and, you know, real life isn't always like that, especially as you get older and into junior high. Um, you know, it might be, you stick two five-year-olds together and they're going to be best friends no matter what. But by 11 and 13, that's not, not really the case anymore. Right. Um, so I think I felt, I, I looked for things that would like indicate that I was, um, part of a group or part of, part of a friend set. So much more things like the earrings that they gave at the end, like the matching books. Um, Mallory notes that she liked the idea that you know, they could match, but they had the option not to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, to me, feels very much like we talk about our friendship quite a bit. There, We have similar taste, but style it very differently. So, like, we have things that, like, we both enjoy, but it doesn't feel like a matchy-matchy situation. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it was – so, like I said, I think it was less the twin thing and more the wanting to feel like a – Part of a club, yeah. Go figure, babysitter club <laughs> was like my favorite. So, um, I, but I thought that was really interesting. I really ap- appreciated and reacted to the point where one of the few times that we see a non-Mallory babysitting um, situation in this book, when Christy is babysitting Karen and David, Michael and Andrew, and Hanny Papadakis comes over, and Karen and Hanny want to dress up as twins, and then Christy tries to get in on it, and they both are like, mm, "Yep, no longer cool." <laughs> I just loved that so much. Well, I think they had already decided before Christy decided to put on her dress too. You think so? I See, I took it as like they were little kids and then the, when the adult wanted to get into it, it like totally ruined the um, the fun of it because I, I remember that feeling too. Remember feeling like, you know, we were very into something and then when somebody else tried to come into it, it sort of ruined it. But maybe that was just my own prejudice. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I was like giving them more or I don't know, more or less of whatever feeling that might be. Because the way I read it was, you know, Christy comes in and they're already sort of being like, eh, I don't really want to do this anymore. But it could have it could have been a reaction. I don't – we just read it differently. <laughs> it happens every once in a while. So, you know, what's funny is I probably would have read it your way before, but because I now have TV show Karen <laughs> in my brain and she is a sass machine, that's what I – that's like – that was, in, in fact, the scene in which I was like, oh, I'm, I'm seeing um, show Karen in book Karen in a big way because she was just like, <laughs> yeah, no, never mind. <laughs> That's funny. I really did feel bad for the girls, though. Yeah. I, like, I, I totally understand where they're coming from. And it was, it, it was very obvious from the beginning that the minute that Mallory said, oh, you're so cute together, all bets were off. Yeah. Well, I guess just to sort of explain for everyone who maybe hasn't reread this 
immediately before listening. So Marilyn and Carolyn are always dressed identically. They share a bedroom that has two of everything exactly the same. They have the only thing that's different is they have, like Lauren said, ID bracelets that have their names on them. But everything else, same haircut, same hairstyle every day, same, you know, matching Mary Janes and knee socks and the same dresses. And they don't, their mom very clearly is like, everybody, you know, not everybody, each of you know, you two are a matched pair. You're so cute. I'm going to dress you exactly the same. Your names are going to rhyme. And like, not taking into account that despite the fact that they're twins they are two individual girls that have different things that they care about and like and want and don't want and the only sort of nod that we get to that is that Marilyn plays the piano and Carolyn really likes science so it's like those are the the two things that their mom sort of like lets them be different about but everything else you know head to toe top to bottom in their life and Yeah, I felt really bad for them because they're treated that way at home by their their family. And then because they look identical, they dress identically, they don't get the opportunity to be different anywhere. At school, kids don't try to get to know them. They just call them Marilyn or Carolyn. And like they're, they're, you know, two versions of the same person. And so they don't, they, they basically only have each other to hang out with because everyone else just sees them as... A, a duo that isn't distinct in any way, shape, or form. And it's pretty sad. <laughs> and on top of that, they're infantilized. I, I think because it's so cute to mm-hmm. see that matched pair, the mom like keeps them in, in clothes that are much younger and sort of like isn't willing to um, acknowledge that they might have grown up past that point. Um, and I, I think that that's a really nice tie-in to our ongoing maturity themes as we go through all of these books. With you know, obviously that comes up every time, and especially in a Mallory book, the emphasis on not wanting to be a baby is obviously very strong. Mm-hmm. Or maybe again, maybe if you're not re- reading them with us, maybe not as obvious, but it's one of Mallory's defining characteristics is her desire to be not a baby. Um, and and again, I think I mentioned this before, but looking back, I am thinking that. That may have been one of my big barriers to appreciating Mallory at that age is that she felt far too close to me. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, you know, a pretty common thing is is not not always liking the mirror that gets held up to you. Right. And like her thirstiness to be um, to be seen as cooler. We can be empathetic now when, you know, it's looking back with all of that hindsight. But at her age or a little younger, I remember thinking, ugh. Stop trying so hard. They're yeah. not, you know, no no one's ever going to think you're cool if you are just harping on being a baby. And I'm realizing that was because I wanted to be seen as mature. I wanted to do everything I could to make sure I wasn't seen as a baby. So that really came through for me with the twins too, is that being kept in that um, joint match set that's that's adorable on babies and it because um, it really is. And it, and when they don't have a distinct personality yet, right. um, having formed that's easy enough to do and and isn't necessarily inappropriate to do. I'm like, I don't want to mom shame anybody who's like, I'm dressing my twins in cute right. little clothes together. And like, that's totally fine to start with until they get to a point where they can start choosing for themselves. And that, I think that's a hard line for parents, whether or not they're twins, um, you know, when to um, allow kids some more autonomy in what they're dressing and when you are the one still picking. Right. Um, in fact, that was just sort of a debate. Um, did you see the 
picture that went around that was everywhere for a little while of the mom who dressed up the four kids as the Schitt's Creek cast. Mm -hmm. It's super, super cute. Somebody posted it. And some of the comments were like, that's just so mean to these poor kids. They don't know anything about this show. They're old enough to have a say. And this mom is like dressing them up and shoving them in front of her social media to get likes. And I I'll have to be honest, that did not cross my mind at all while looking at it. But now that that's out there and in my brain, I can't, I couldn't help but think of that as I was um, reading this, that part of the issue is I think um, Linda, who we definitely need to get into, um, they're the twins' mom, um, still sees the twins as an extension of her at this point. So that's, there's not even just the individuality of not wanting to be Marilyn and Carolyn, but wanting to be Marilyn and Carolyn, but also that need to break out from the image of themselves that their mom had, had basically built for them and wasn't ready to let go. Or maybe I just got way too <laughs> in-depth and psychological <laughs> on it. But that's what I, I just... I just couldn't help but thinking thinking about that as we were going through as well. Yeah. Well, and I, the thing that sort of just popped into my brain as you were talking, Mrs. Arnold 100% would be that mom that, like, she'd probably be trying to be an influencer and, like, look at my cute twins and, like, posting outfits of mm-hmm. the day and, like, putting your kids out there. Like, just – I mean, because obviously this is set in 1989 or, you know, 80s generally, the internet and Instagram and – Facebook and Twitter were not a thing, obviously. But, like, the way that she treats these girls as, like, no, this is who you're going to be. This is how I want you to look. This is what you're going to wear every day. And not even, like, having a second thought about whether or not they might want to do that. And, like, whatever. Like, I don't want to get into, like, how good or bad of mom she is. But, like, there are definitely, you know, influencer moms out there who are using their kids for like you said for likes for visual or for for eyeballs on their content and i think it's going to be really interesting in you know 10 15 20 years when these kids of influencers are adults and like telling their Mm -hmm. own stories because i think that no one is uh, maybe not no one but a lot of these parents that do these kinds of things and are trying to sort of get famous on the internet or try to you know build popularity of any kind on the internet they're not really thinking about what this might mean for their kids or how their kids might react to this they're not even really and i think that it's sort of interesting there aren't a lot of like bloggers or instagram people that i follow that are you know big influencers like this but like i I have heard stories about people who are, you know, in that lifestyle and their kids have gotten old enough that they finally are like, I am not going to be in any pictures on your social media anymore. And I think that it's mm-hmm. it's interesting how it has to get to the point where these kids have to basically refuse as opposed to it being a conversation like, do you want to do this? Will you wear this outfit and participate in this? And I will put part of the money that I get from this sponsorship into an account for your college. And like the fact that these kids are essentially unpaid labor in a lot of instances is just mind boggling to me. Like obviously I I do a lot of things on the internet, but like some of the things on outside of my use of the internet is just like mind boggling. Like I don't understand how a lot of this stuff works and like the thinking that goes into it. And I feel like now I'm going off down my own like (laughs) tangent rabbit hole about all of this. But I think it all sort of ties in together. And I think it's interesting to think about in relationship or in relation to 
how these kids are portrayed and how Linda uh, Arnold is portrayed in this book. No, I think that this is a, I mean, it's a modern on topic uh, version of it, but it's definitely plays into the themes of the book mm-hmm. because the other big, aside from the maturity theme um, and the individuality, the other big theme here is learning to advocate for yourself, ask for what you want, use your right. words. And I that's think that, that, and I think that that's a big part of this whole internet discussion and like, I don't want to get too um, because there are def- I definitely think are there people who take it too far mm-hmm. and are, are gross and are exploiting their kids for money one hundred percent. But I think a lot of it is is not, or at least it didn't start off intentionally mm-hmm. icky that way. I think a big part of it is like you mentioned because this is completely new. This is the first right. generation that this is happening. We don't really know, and like it's not even just like. It, people attempting to use their kids for likes and people who are trying to get, you know, followers and money, that's that's a different thing. But I even question it around just, like, sharing pictures of my new nephew. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I'm not his parents, so I don't feel the right, like, I don't, I feel sometimes strange about posting pictures of him. Um, I don't. I haven't yeah. because of that. Because I'm like, well, I'm not his parents, so I don't know that I have the right to put that out there. And then... Now just thinking about, I'm like, oh, I don't love when somebody tags a picture of me that I have not, like, (laughs) approved beforehand. He's going to have his literal whole life Mm -hmm. um, posted before anybody gets approved. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Like, I think that's one of the beauties of having social media is that I do get to see because I don't live, you know, Mm -hmm. right next door to him. I'm thankfully close enough. I can see him regularly. But we rely on social media to share um, pictures of him with us between the family with our friends with e- with each other we and and to document i think there's yeah there's beauty to that too where um he's going to be able to see his whole life you know in in pictures and videos he's going to be able to see how loved he was mm-hmm. so I, I don't know now i'm like talking i'm kind of talking myself in circles because i really don't know how i feel about all of this but i think you're right in that i don't think we're paying enough attention we're not asking as many questions as we probably Mm -hmm. should be around that idea of consent around that idea of being your own advocate um and like when that's appropriate but but again like at what point like he's he's four months old he can't (laughs) right he can't say no mom don't post that picture of me in the bathtub um my they've never posted a picture of him in the bathtub i just i'm using that as an example Mm -hmm. of you know some of those embarrassing pictures cliches but like at, at a certain age they can talk but when sort it that's and that's really the crux of the conversation between Linda Arnold and and her twins in this book is she didn't realize to ask to them right. you know are you okay with this and they until Mallory came along didn't even understand that they could advocate for right. themselves um and i think that that's a really important message for for kids especially kids reading these books to understand too that um you know Mallory and on her advocation um her speaking up for herself plot is around the ear piercing so i had i had forgotten how absolutely obsessed mallory was with the concept Mm -hmm. of ear piercing which makes sense because it's only really for this book because she gets them by the end um but like that's her whole thing and she realizes when she has the girls talk to um, mrs arnold or their mom about you know wanting different looks she realizes oh i've never even asked my parents if i could get my ears pierced. I'm, I'm here like lamenting and bitching about the fact that oh, I'm such a baby. Everybody thinks I'm such a baby. I'm not allowed to get my ears pierced, but I've never asked, can I get my ears pierced? And it, like, I mean, maybe it, you can argue that Mrs. Pike should have known around that age that's what girls want, but I don't know. Once you're so far removed from that, I had sort of forgotten, mm-hmm. 
you know, what a big deal ear piercing was um, at that age. So I, I think all, all of these conversations, while are clearly not the same situation that's happening in the book, I, I think there are modern day versions mm-hmm. of the exact things that they're that they're getting at with this one. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I, I really did appreciate, and like you said, Mallory's sort of plot ignorance aside which she had to let the story play out before she had the realization but I really did appreciate you know once Mallory sort of put two and two together like my brothers are triplets they're identical but they're very distinct personalities you know they have different likes dislikes and you can tell them apart just by looking at them because you know so much more about their internal life and they don't always look the same and so I I really did appreciate once she finally realized like well you know of course of course Marilyn and Carolyn don't automatically want to be the same person like I I should (laughs) I should have realized sooner like my brothers are distinct people. Obviously, Carolyn and Marilyn are distinct people too, but like no one has given them the opportunity. And the fact, and like you said, they don't even know to like sort of advocate for themselves until Mallory's like, do you guys like wearing matching outfits all the time? And then they get the opportunity to be like, actually, no, you know, I'd rather have my hair shorter. I'd rather have my hair longer. I'd rather, you know, wear pants more frequently. And I'd rather wear skirts, but not these like jumper dresses that my mom makes us wear. And like, it's really sort of nice and you know she offers to help them talk to their parents and um i really appreciated the fact that you know mallory kicks off that conversation but as soon as the girls have the opportunity to start advocating for themselves they sort of jump right in and they're mm-hmm. like this is how we feel and not even how we feel it's like this is how i feel this is how i feel can we do x y and z you know and mallory offers to take them shopping to you know get some new different pieces and like the fact that it's not Mallory sort of sitting down the Arnold parents and being like, Marilyn and Carolyn and I had a conversation and they don't want to be treated mm-hmm. the same. The yeah. fact that she's like, hey, Marilyn and Carolyn have something they want to talk to you about. And like she's there as support, but like she's not the one having that conversation. And the fact that she then takes from that experience, like, duh, I can do this for myself too. Like I, I shouldn't have had to realize it by watching two seven or I guess eight-year-olds at that point because they had their birthday. I shouldn't have had to like watch two eight-year-olds advocate for themselves before I realized I could advocate for myself. But it's sort of nice that you get that progression. You know, Mallory gives them agency and then because she sees them take that agency, she's able to see that in herself and take her own agency when it comes to negotiating with her parents about <laughs> all of the things that she wants. You know what? I, I think that's a brings up a great point for me is that sometimes, and I think a lot of times, we need a third party to be the one to sort of point something out to us before we can mm-hmm. get there ourselves. And, and there's no shame in that. And I, I think that that's what I love so much about therapy is having that completely independent third party who's able to point out things that should be obvious to me that I'm sometimes just too close to see. And I think that sometimes our American individualism and exceptionalism means that we think we need to like come up with everything on our own and everything has to come from within us. And even this like idea of individuality, if taken too far, can stop us from being able to allow others to help us advocate for ourselves by being the ones to point out that, hey, there's something to advocate for. Um, And that's, I think, something to, I need to chew on sometimes is that I get overly, feel like I have to do things myself. Um, And 
we don't. And it doesn't mean that doesn't mean like you pointed out with with Mallory, it doesn't mean giving over control, letting someone do it all for you. Mm-hmm. It just means sometimes we need that little that little push or that little help. So, yeah, like I said, I think this book was subtly a lot deeper than um first impressions would be and this is one of the reasons I'm so glad to get back in the books and have these conversations Mm -hmm. is because I think there is a little bit there's a little bit more space for that and those thematic things like um the scene with Christy and her babysitting job that I mentioned earlier like that would have been the first thing cut for the show because it's not the main Mm -hmm. you know narrator it doesn't it doesn't really like it it sort of compounds the plot It, it adds some um it gets Mallory to the next point in her discussion mm-hmm. or analyzation of what's happening, but it's not strictly necessary. And that's one of the things that I love about the books is that there is the space for those things yep. that we did sort of miss those in the in the half an hour version of the show that we we did um, lament that a little bit. Yes, definitely. So I think that's kind of all of my like big ideas um, for this episode. Did you have any other main overall thematic? thoughts not really but i think more than just like a random one-off conversation i did want to talk about the ear piercing situation as described in this book i do is it like did was that how it was in the 80s did anna martin not know what it was like getting your ears pierced like they they just go to the mall this group of seven girls and they just go to the the boutique where you get your ears pierced which like is it a claire's is it like a special earring store i don't know i took it as a piercing pagoda do you remember do you remember the piercing pagodas in the middle of the mall the like um standalone i don't think you actually could get your ears pierced there i thought that was just to buy earrings oh no you could get your ears pierced there that was definitely i i was with friends who did that was like the um, you, you either went to Claire's or Piercing Pagoda, and there was a very distinct, like, <laughs> the Claire's girls versus it, there was some weird rivalry. I don't know why. When in reality, those guns are the worst way to pierce the ears. You Parents should have been taking them to tattoo shops to begin with. Yes. But the fact that there were no parents with them and the woman was just oh, like, yes. yep, let's do this. Like, I, uh, I don't know. Well, I, Oh, sorry. I had that note for um, the like the first random thought that I wanted to talk about was um, was that. But in addition to the fact that Mrs. Arnold had Mallory take the girls to the mall with their their money um, and let them like completely handle the shopping on their own. Like there are definite times in these books where it feels very realistic their age levels and other times I'm like what are these parents allowing these kids to do uh what are uh, what where are all the adults in this world like they are still 11 um you let an 11 year old take eight year old kids shopping and then I had the same thought at piercing like where there are no sign-offs you're just going to accept these kids word for it I had to talk my way into getting a, a second hole when I was 17 years old um and they gave me a hard time for it because I wasn't. Well, you yet, were not so. eighteen, so you shouldn't have been able to get your ear pierced. Yeah, well, fair enough. And especially with eleven-year-olds, not cool, bro. Not cool. <laughs> I was older. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess um, I shouldn't be saying anything because I w- was on a, a choir trip and got. Uh, I think it was my fifth. Oh my hole? god, that was mine too. I don't know. I, yeah, we were like in Myrtle Beach, and I mean, other people were getting like lot like other things pierced and I was like I'll just get another hole in my ear but yeah I was like 16 and clearly shouldn't have been allowed to get another hole pierced but 
they they were fine. It was Did Myrtle it? Beach. That's how it That's works. So funny. My seventeen year old one was a choir trip too, um, to uh, Indiana though. It was just like a random mall in Indiana. Speaking of malls, that was my other random thought. We never called it mauling, but hanging out at the mall was definitely like the key social aspect of my junior high um, and mm-hmm. early high school era. Uh, was that was that? Oh big yeah, a hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. Go, and I let, don't think that that exists anymore. Well, I mean, enclosed malls don't really. I mean, they're they're exist dying. Well. That's true. <laughs> as as I can tell you, because that is a big part of my job is retail leasing, and um, yeah, <laughs> enclosed malls are either being you know demolished, like was that Randall Park in Parma, or they're being converted into other things, whether it's you know alternate uses like office spaces or you know even apartments in some cases like going to the mall is not a thing anymore because malls are not as much a thing it's well i wonder chicken versus egg i mean and especially now in in covid yeah that's true but even before that i well I, we we don't need to do a whole uh, CLE on shopping malls because I could probably talk for like three hours about shopping malls um, <laughs> and the changing you know patterns in retail behavior and consumer shopping uh, habits. But um, yeah, it, it was it's a little bit of both, and the fact that people didn't want to go to malls as much as they wanted to go to things that were closer to their house and more like you know strip malls, um, outdoor shopping lifestyle centers as opposed to enclosed malls. So fascinating how, <laughs> you know, the whole the whole world just sort of shifted mm-hmm. without any real, like, thought. Like, I don't think anybody was ever consciously like, ew, m- indoor malls yeah. are, let's, let's, I don't know. But you're right. We, we could talk about that forever. <laughs> so let's instead talk about Linda. Listen, Linda. Um, she is right up there. So, seriously, I... I guess it makes sense when I was reading these as a kid that I sort of glossed over the descriptions of the parents quite a bit because, you know, they're adults, who cares, um, when you're eight and nine. But as a, as a, an adult who is terrifyingly probably a contemporary with at least half the adults described in these books, I, I have a whole different appreciation, I guess, or paying attention to them a mm-hmm. lot more anyway because Linda is something else. I think you were spot on by saying she would probably be attempting to be an influencer of some mm-hmm. kind. Well, and I, I feel like the two big things that I had highlighted for fashion just, and I think it will tie into this conversation very well. So maybe we'll, let me do the descriptions of Let's do it. Marilyn and Carolyn when Mallory first meets them and Mrs. Arnold immediately thereafter when Mallory first meets her, because I think that it really gives a good insight into who Linda is as a person and it will help us <laughs> continue that conversation because Oh, boy. I love it. Go for it. So, okay. Here is how Mallory describes Marilyn and Carolyn upon meeting them. Both girls were wearing blue kilts with straps that went over their shoulders, white blouses with lace edging the collars and sleeves, white knee socks, and black patent leather Mary Jane shoes. Their brown hair was cut in a bowl shape, framing their faces, and each twin had on a blue headband with a blue bow on the side of it. Also, each wore a silver ring on the pinky finger of her right hand and a beaded identification bracelet on her left wrist. The bracelets were the only difference between the twins. The beads on one bracelet spelled Marilyn. The beads on the other one spelled Carolyn. I was glad I was wearing my glasses. Okay, so then this is how Mallory describes Mrs. Arnold (laughs) during this same babysitting job. 
In a moment, a fussy-looking woman came down the stairs. Do you know what I mean by fussy? I mean everything about her was too much and too cute. She was wearing two necklaces, a pin, bracelets on each on each wrist, rings, earrings, and even an ankle bracelet. Her stockings were lacy, and she was, well, as Claude might have said, overly accessorized. Practically everything she wore had a bow attached. There were bows on her shoes, a bow on her belt, a bow in her hair, and a bow at the neck of her blouse. Her sweater was beaded, and she hadn't forgotten to pin a fake rose to it. Whoo! As for cute, her earrings were in the shape of ladybugs. One of her necklaces spelled her name, Linda, in gold script. Her pin was in the shape of a mouse, and the bow in her hair was a ribbon with a print of tiny ducks all over it. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> um, in the immortal words of Project Runway, that's a lot of look. Exactly. And, like, like Coco Chanel's saying of, like, to look in the mirror and, like, take one thing off. Like, Linda should have taken off, like, 10 things. <laughs> I had that exact same thought. I wrote down that note, too. I was like, oh, Chanel would be rolling over her in her grave. Just uh-huh. so much. And there's also the fact that, like, it it really – um. It makes me angry because there's no consistency. Like, I, yeah, as I have said many times, like, I'm all about the big accessories and I love a lot of look in certain ways, but like, there is no consistency in all of her accessories. Like, come on, lady, at least like make it go together in some way, as opposed to like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. I mean, the only consistency is that there's a bunch of bows and that's not really enough with all the rest of the shit she has on. It's like, Come on, lady. Too much. She just seems like I, I love how. Um, again, this is a, a goes a testament to great writing. Like we know exactly who Linda is. You're exactly mm-hmm. right by that description of her and the girls. Like what we see, which what where her priorities are. We see that she's a little bit much. Um, we see that uh, appearances are very meaningful to her. We see her taste level. Like it, it's just such a perfect mm-hmm. uh, economy of writing that again, I, I just did not appreciate enough as a kid. Um, but I think that that's, I love that there is that there so that I, I I'm sure part of it is knowing that, you know, I'm sure adults are going to be reading these with their kids. So they want to, you know, have some little things in there for them. But it's also, I love how seriously Anna M. Martin and the series, how seriously they take kids in general mm-hmm. without talking down to them, without, you know, pandering to them. In fact, it was one of my random thoughts that sort of fits in right here. I wrote it down. It's in, I think it was Christie's journal about her babysitting uh, experience. It was. She says, a kid is a person, a human being, mm-hmm. who happens to be shorter and younger than an adult. And I just, I, that, I think that we could probably sum up the whole Babysitter's Club, like, philosophy in that one mm-hmm. quote. That kids are people. They deserve as much respect and I, I guess they, it's not even about what they deserve. It's what they don't deserve to be talked down to, to be belittled in any way. And really, I mean, we see those themes, the maturity, the babyish, the advocacy, the mm-hmm. standing up for yourself, learning how to be independent, um, all of those themes throughout it. So I, I just thought that was really, really nice. Yeah, I loved that as well. One thing I thought was kind of interesting was, you know, when Mallory's talking about the ear piercing place, because the, the book starts with the whole Pike crew going to the mall and Mallory decides she's going to just go watch people get their ears pierced which okay (laughs) Claire and Margot think that she always picks the most interesting things to do so they go with her and they are not having the ear piercing but like (laughs) that they slip in that like you shouldn't pierce your own ears with an ice cube and a needle I was like good lesson 
Glad you threw that in there, Anna Martin. Um, Also, there's more examples in this book of um, just how wealthy these families are. Yes. Um, The the Arnolds go to a antique car auction, and Mm -hmm. apparently going to estate sales is the new hobby of Edie and Watson. We've had mention of them going to an estate sale in the past, but now that's just like what they do regularly. <laughs> it's like, yep. and I also, and I guess tying into that, I have to find the actual quote. It's after um, Marilyn and Carolyn's birthday party. Um, one of the gifts that the, the girls got, or one of the gifts that each of the girls got, because they got the same gifts from everyone except for Mallory, um, they got, dolls with brass beds i mean i'm picturing samantha from um, american girls but like 100 but so mallory when you know she's talking sort of in her narration talking about like oh these girls got so many gifts they got such nice gifts and her her thing her statement was about her family we aren't poor, but with eight kids in your family, you don't get duplicate copies of brass doll beds. You don't even get one brass doll bed. Like. Okay, but you your family's still rich, Mallory, which is just funny because exactly. I know that's always that's sort of something that we've talked about is like when you're a kid, you maybe don't appreciate quite how well off you are, especially if you have seven siblings and you have to share bedrooms and you know it's a little bit different, mm-hmm. but like clearly your family is still very well off. One hundred percent. I had that same thought too. I had written mm-hmm. that down. Actually, that's a perfect segue into two of my other random thoughts. Um, things that I don't think we need to really harp on since we've had conversation about them before, but things that I do want to point out. So you mentioned the socioeconomic issues. Once again, our description of Claudia is problematic, um, Mm -hmm. exotic, almond eyes, perfect skin, you know, all those things we we have had some pretty in-depth conversation around, but just want to note, still happening, um, and we are aware of it. And I think that that's important that we continue to call it out because otherwise it can get very easy to sort of be like, yeah, yeah, we understand and then stop having the impact of it happen. So yep. I want us to make sure that we're still calling that out. Um, the other thing that, again, I don't want to like spend too much time on but I because it wasn't a huge plot point in this, but it is something that I want to keep an eye on. Um, one of my pet themes is the uh, parentification of kids, obviously. So at one point, Mallory calls out um, in her description of Dawn that not only she's an individual, but she's a survivor. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, she was referring to the Jeff situation and the divorce, but I think it's interesting that already Dawn's situation is intuited by kids as an extra level of difficulty. Um mm-hmm. Which, again, I I don't want to harp on because I've definitely made my views clear on that. But I think that there is also a level of parentification that happens with Mallory um, that we can see in this book that her parents rely on her quite a bit. And at the same time, I feel like it's a different situation because I think to a certain degree, we can see Mallory putting herself into that role. Like she takes pride in um, being the oldest and being the responsible Mm -hmm. one and like having her parents rely on her for things and I I think I have an easier time with that because um, that is very much how I feel so I've mentioned a number of times that I have much younger siblings and I was often very involved um, with them but it was in no way like my parents were foisting them off on me Um, I I think I was very similar to Mallory in that way where I took pride in being the oldest I took pride in being relied on um, and I sort of right or wrong put myself into that role um and uh, so I think that that's just something I want to keep an eye on with Mallory going forward is like how much she's doing that to herself. Is it, you know, how much of an impact is it having? 
you know, just sort of something to track and keep your eyes peeled as we go through. The last little maturity note along those same lines was Mallory mentioned that she is not interested in boys. Um, And I thought that that was interesting because at 11, I was very much interested in crushes and cuteness and, you know, looking back, um, my very feminine looking early crushes, um, you know, and what that all meant. It was funny looking back on that. But what about you? Like at 11... At, at Mallory's age, were you already starting to, to look at boys or were you still in Cootie's face? That's a good question. <laughs> I'm I'm sure I had like little crushes, but my I'm wondering if like Mallory just now has a best friend and we don't really get the sense that she had friends before. So that might partially be because she's hanging out so much with her Ooh, younger siblings that there's not necessarily that same cultural or like social aspect of it because I don't know I I I, frankly I can't remember exactly what I was like at 10 or 11 um in that realm but my guess is to the extent that I was having crushes on boys it was because of the other you know my friends were talking about having crushes and that came from you know their older siblings talking about having crushes and it wasn't I don't know that it's something that I necessarily came up with myself, you know, to the extent that I was gotcha. having crushes when I was 11. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering if that might be part of it. And obviously this that is could be. delving into like the psychology of someone who doesn't actually exist and if they actually put this level of thought into it. But <laughs> in my in my brain, if Mallory were a real person, knowing what we know about her, I don't know. My thinking would be that that might be part of why she's not really thinking about boys because she just now is starting to hang out with people who are thinking about boys or, you know, anyone that they might have a crush on. That's a really good point. And actually, you know, like in, in having some more reflection uh, on it as we're talking about it, I I think I might, well, no, that's not true. I had crushes on boys in my class. But I, I was like immediately, the first thing I thought of when I, when she said I'm not into boys, I was like, oh, I was very into Leonardo DiCaprio at that age. Like very. Mm-hmm. Um, because... Growing Pains had been, ooh, like really early 90s, like 91, 92 maybe, 93 at the latest, because I remember being very young. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Romeo and Juliet was middle school for me, because I remember being, I was it was PG-13 and I was just under, and so I had to negotiate seeing it. I don't play the it's Shakespeare card um <laughs> so I, that's like like that's why I remember v- very vividly that age being into boys it was Leonardo DiCaprio um but you know I definitely had crushes on boys in my class at that time too so mm-hmm. um that's interesting I wonder with that in mind I mean I guess I did hang out with older kids in my neighborhood um that's that's fascinating oh I, I love I like your theory I'll have to sit with that for a little while. Did you have any other random thoughts or I just dumped my little list on you? Anything else that you wanted to mention? I think we've touched on everything on mine. I'm just scrolling through real quick to see if there was anything else. But yeah, I think I think that covers everything. So I guess, do we want to talk about our predictions for Jesse Ramsey Pet Sitter? Sure, because I have no idea. Um, in fact, I realized when reading this, when um, reading that title... I was, I thought I remembered it, but what I was actually remembering was Christie's babysitting job from the first book when the lady calls for like what is it Pinky or something, and she gets over there and their dogs mm-hmm. as at their first babysitters club job. So um, that would be my prediction for this book. 
<laughs> and obviously, seeing as how it's a passbook, not not a thing. Right. Yeah. I um I don't recall reading this one. I wrote in my notes. Um, Jesse gets a regular job sitting for someone's pets? Question mark. I have literally no idea. Like I, this one is a complete blank for me. I didn't look at the cover of the book, so maybe I should do that and see if it rings any bells. But like, I. Yeah, <laughs> I got nothing. So I'm guessing she pets sits for someone. So the only thing that I can um, make a prediction, uh, any kind of prediction at all, and this is, again, swinging for the fences, I vaguely recall that there was one babysitting charge that they have at some point who insists on pretending to be a dog for, like, long periods of time, and maybe that that's, maybe that's this kid. And, like, <laughs> she's struggling to how to connect with him because he only communicates in barks. I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I'm that description of a babysitting charge is also not ringing any bells for me. So I hope that this wild swinging is right because I can't wait to read that book. (laughs) (laughs) If not, we'll just have to write it. Exactly. I like it. Do our very own Babysitter's Club fanfic. (laughs) <laughs> this is like the fifth book in the fanfic that we've talked about. So I feel like it's time to Very to get started on writing. <laughs> we can't keep promising 100%. these things and not putting it out into the universe. <laughs> You're exactly right. So rude. So rude. So, so rude. With all our copious amounts of free time, we'll, we'll start writing fanfic. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what. Nobody wants my version of fanfic. I definitely tried um, probably around this, like, 13, 14. Um and well, that would be probably why it was terrible. But even at thirteen, fourteen, I went, "Oh no, this is not. This is not my. Um, <laughs> this is not. For this is not my lane. <laughs> I will read it. I should not write it. <laughs> exactly. I'll read it. I'll talk about it till we're blue in the face. But nobody, nobody wants me to write anything, uh, fiction-wise, for sure. That is fair. Okay. So, any final club business? Uh, why don't you just remind everybody, since it's been a hot minute, where they can find us um, all over the interwebs? Yeah. Um, everyone, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Generation BSC, or if you have more to say, you can email us at generationbsc at gmail.com. So with that, I'm Kate Vlasic. And I'm Lauren Hunter. And this episode of Generation BSC is now adjourned. Say hello to your friends.